If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized organizations by designing world-class strategic plans, but just as important, keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. As most of our clients work, we work with them in person or we will do some Zoom as well. We've actually designed a course to make it more affordable for you, but it's also guaranteed to have a dramatic impact for you. Like literally guaranteed, if the course doesn't work for you, we're gonna give you your money back. Um, This is a group oriented type session style. It's called the Captain Strategy Course. It's the principles that we talk about in our book, Lost at CEO, that just recently uh, released and back in May. And I, we encourage you to take a look at that. Once again, you can get all this information at 40strategy.com. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our future courses. With that, I'm super excited to have Justin Nasiri uh, here. He is the CEO of Executive Presence. He was a U.S. Navy, or he is, forgive me, a U.S. Navy submarine vet, um, Stanford MBA, and the founder of two previous companies. He will provide us more detail about Executive Presence, but it's high level. It provides fully managed LinkedIn presence for CEOs and top executives. He's also the podcast founder and host of Beyond the Uniform podcast for military career transition advice with over 400 episodes and running, which is really awesome. He was also the CEO of Storybox, Silicon Valley Marketing Technology, which raised money from Google's Eric Schmidt. Pretty cool. Um, he sourced and sold that um, as well. So anyways, Justin, really excited to have you on the MedSess podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Carl. Well, one of the things that you made this this is recorded. You follow me closely, you realize this was recorded you know, just a teeny little bit ago. Um, but Justin also was at the U.S. Naval Academy, where my son Tyler is at right now, and I just literally dropped him off. And we did this week travel. And you, and Justin, you said you did the exact same thing with your brother and your dad as well. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, we drove. Uh, it's you know, it's a, a rite of passage to have a car when you're a junior. You can have a car on campus and. Um, so we drove my my old beat up 240 diesel Mercedes <laughs> all the way from northern Idaho to Annapolis, but it was a ton of fun. Yeah, that's what we had. Yeah, exactly. We had a 180,000 mile uh, old Honda Pilot hand me down and, and we were just <laughs> like, OK, let's hope it gets across all the way over. But it did. I got yeah. past the Rocky Mountains, got past the Appalachians and a lot of heat in between. But it was, um, you know, just an amazing experience. You know, when you when you do something that the way you see how, well, first of all, how much land there is, but also just um, it, it breaks a lot of stereotypes, I think, when you actually drive through things and maybe reinforces others, um, perhaps I should say as well. Um, I won't go into details much more beyond that, but let, let's go into your company executive presence. 
what is that? What do you do? And, and why do you do it? Yeah, I'll start with the why I do it. So a couple of years ago, you know, obviously spending a lot of time on LinkedIn, and I started noticing that there were people who would post and they would get millions of people viewing that post. And so the longtime entrepreneur in me thought, wow, if I had a built-in audience like that, hiring becomes easier, fundraising becomes easier, sales becomes easier. It's a very powerful resource. But I also had the judgment that the people posting on LinkedIn didn't necessarily have the most expertise. They had just taken the time to build up an audience. And so I started scratching my head and started looking at my friends and, and people in my network who had done incredible things. They'd maybe taken a company public or raised a lot of money or built these iconic brands. And I thought, you know, they don't have the time to post every day on LinkedIn. Here they have the best insight, the best experience, but they are building an empire and they're never going to take the time to share that on LinkedIn. So I started going to them and saying, look, I'm going to take an hour of your time a month. I'm going to interview you. I'm going to turn that interview into posts. I'm going to post on your behalf. We're going to run the whole LinkedIn playbook. But for an hour of your time a month, you're going to end up with high quality content published daily. And I started doing that and it works really well. We started to have clients who raised money. We started to have clients who would get on the news. We started to have clients who this became their biggest recruiting channel. And so I started to build out a team to help me do that. And that's exactly what we do today is we work with leaders and turn them into thought leaders on social media. We do it in an efficient way. It takes an hour of their time a month. We do it in an authentic way. It's their words, their insight, their voice, but we bring scale to it. And we do it in a measurable way because everything's backed up by data. So you mentioned something interesting. That we're gonna we're gonna geek out here just for a minute, Justin, because I love what you do, and and I think this is one of the things that people miss about LinkedIn is it's isn't this isn't just about vanity metrics, yep. right? You know, you can make an argument that it's a vanity metrics to have a certain number of followers, but when it there's two ways of this. When a you're able to share more value, like for us, we're trying to positively impact a million people over our, over a ten year period. Well, for us to be able to do that, we have to be known, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you have to like actively work on that side behind it. But the other side behind it is, it can bring you business, right? You know, yeah. you just like you said, when you become a thought leader, you know that changes. So we're gonna you you have a level of expertise that you're not just posting; you're understanding the deep level why LinkedIn works and why LinkedIn doesn't work. So explain to me some of those details of you, an algorithm change in LinkedIn that just recently yeah. had. Why was that important? And what do you have to do to help make sure it's you're being still thoughtful, right? in what's happening in the future? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about the algorithm, but let me just first go deeper on something you said, because I think it was really great. So I would offer your listeners two mindset shifts that might make LinkedIn a lot easier. And the first is, um, I think that most people, myself included, are very averse to the term personal brand. Like, I don't want a personal brand. It feels really uh, inauthentic. What I would offer to them is just think of this as your reputation. All of us know what a reputation is. All of us value our reputation. But LinkedIn allows you the ability to scale your reputation. And then the second mindset shift is don't worry about followers, really focus on your network. 
I'm guessing, and I would bet money on this, that all of your listeners have a very powerful network. They went to a school with great people. They have worked at places with good people. They are maybe part of like a Vistage group or YPO. Like they have a really good network, but everyone knows if you don't keep your network alive, it, it dies. And we are past the phase where holiday cards are gonna keep that network alive. We have big enough networks that we can't do coffee chats and dinner parties to stay in touch with them. So I would challenge you that LinkedIn is the modern way to keep that network alive. And the great thing is you don't just have to be talking about milestones achieved. You don't just have to be selling. All you need to do is show up on LinkedIn and share what you're learning. If you really wanna make this powerful, share about your mistakes. I hired the person that didn't work out. This is what I learned. My first company, I fell flat on my face. Here's what I took away. And if you just approach LinkedIn as generously sharing what has helped you, authentically sharing where you have missed the mark and what you've learned, your network is gonna pay attention and these people who know you, like you, and trust you are going to start thinking about you, and that's going to lead to good things. But when it comes to the specifics of the algorithm, a couple things that I would share. The first thing is LinkedIn just changed their, their algorithm in, uh, at the end of June 2023 here. And one of the things that we found is that reposts, that's when you see something you like on LinkedIn and you just share it with your network. That is now really heavily penalized. Specifically, we saw an 88% drop in engagement from, from reposts. So very few people are going to see your post if you repost it. What to take away there is LinkedIn is really prioritizing original content. That is something that you write for LinkedIn. That is a video that you upload to LinkedIn. That is a photo that you upload to LinkedIn. But if it's an article that drives traffic away from LinkedIn, if it's a repost, it's just not going to get visibility. So I think it's really in line with this thought that they want leaders showing up and sharing something that is um, original. And to kind of further that, we looked at the top 20 creators on LinkedIn, and we found that 99% of their content is original content native to LinkedIn. They're not reposting, they're not posting articles, they're really focusing on original content. One other insight that I would share, and I'll take a breath, but um, the other insight is the content that is working on LinkedIn is either text, that's about a third of the content that these creators are focusing on, just straight up text written for LinkedIn. But the most powerful one is text with an image. 45% of their content, they're attaching an image to it. And the biggest thing to know about this for your listeners is it really needs to be original and relevant. By original, I mean not a stock photo. It should be something that you took with your phone, something that's real, something that's original. And by relevant, you know, it needs to be related to what you're talking about. So you don't want to necessarily just post a photo of your kid if you're talking about something unrelated to your kid. But if you're sharing a post about how you spent time with your children and you learned something about business, absolutely attach a photo of you with your kids. It's going to perform on average 115% better than just a straight up text post. So we can go deeper in that, but the big takeaway here is 
share what you're learning, do it in a form that's not reposting, that's not an article, but content designed for LinkedIn. So Justin, I think one of the, I don't know about your experience, but I, once again, I'm, I'm pretty active in LinkedIn as well. And, and we post things consistently. Um, but one of the things that I think is a, a big challenge is quote unquote, selling on LinkedIn. Yep. Right. So let me just talk about this for a minute. I, I'm sure you're in the same situation that I'm at. I get daily um, being wanting to be on a franchise, opening new business, set up a loan, meeting somebody from Asia. I mean, it's like I get these these like consistent yep. uh, spam, if you may, you know, messages on 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 trying to sell me something. But then there's this really interesting desire of of a lot of people are saying, no, you can effectively sell on LinkedIn. Based on your expertise, what are you seeing? You know, what are you seeing is really working and not working? Yeah. So I would start with the distinction, first of all. Um, I would say that there are there are influencers on LinkedIn, and then there are executives on LinkedIn. Influencers, in my opinion, tend to be a one-person show. It's like a solopreneur, and they tend to be selling a video course or newsletter or training. It's kind of like there's a kind of a built-out flow there. And the influencers are the ones that are getting thousands of likes of their content because their entire business is predicated on a very large funnel, millions of people seeing it, and then becoming, you know, $100 sales. Executives, on the other hand, are taking a very different approach. They are taking what I call the thought leadership approach, where they are speaking to a much more narrow audience. If they are an expert in AI, they're going to be talking about AI. If they are an expert in hospital administration, they're going to be teaching about topics related to hospital administration. So we are not talking about millions here. We are talking about a laser focus on relevancy, and the big numbers really don't matter. And in that range, you get 20, 30 likes of a post. You're doing great. You don't need millions of people to see your content. The, the number that I, I always come to when it comes to selling is 80%. And that is 80% of your content should be educational in nature. 80% should be generously adding value and never even mentioning your company. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, I'm going to be talking about two or three different things. But one of them is how to be a leader on LinkedIn, how to be an executive building your brand on LinkedIn. And I'm just going to hit that chord over and over again, stats, numbers, data, success stories. And I'm going to give you the playbook for free about how as an executive, you can grow an audience on LinkedIn. And I will rarely, if ever, mention my company executive presence because I want 80% of the content to be building trust, adding value, that whole Gary Vaynerchuk approach to giving, giving, giving. And then 20% of the time, I may mention a data report. I may mention that we're hiring. I may mention that we reached a new milestone. And so if I do that approach where most of the time I'm adding value, people are going to trust me more in the rare instances where I'm quote unquote selling. And the, um, the great thing there is I'm not going to just be corporate propaganda. 
that people tune out. I'm so humbled that Forbes picked me for this. We just raised $10 million. Like people get really fatigued if that's all you ever do. But if I'm instead adding value, that builds up trust and that builds up top of mind relevance. So the big takeaway there, educate, don't sell. No, I think it's great insight. And, and, um, and I appreciate that on saying the differentiation, right, between once again, who you are, what type of company and what your goals are. I, I think that is often misses that there isn't a clear strategy about what people are trying to do on LinkedIn. And, and what you're doing is helping to develop that more and be more focused ultimately to where the end result is. And the great part is, right, once you're doing things the right way, they're coming, ideally, they're coming to you, right? You know, they're coming to you because like, ah, oh, this is an expert and what they do. And I really think that you can add value to it. So, and I'll give you, I'll give you a quick example there. That's just yes. crazy for me. So, you know, obviously I talk about LinkedIn for CEOs and a buddy of mine actually from the Naval Academy. And, and just to age myself, I graduated 20 years ago. So I hadn't talked to this friend in 20 years. Love this guy. Great guy. But I just, you know, we haven't stayed in touch. He never liked my posts. He never commented on them, but he was watching them. And out of the blue, I got an in-mail from him and he said, hey, Justin, I see what you're doing. I love it. My CEO should be using you. I'm going to make an intro. And his CEO became a customer two weeks later. Now, if I took a traditional sales approach, this guy would not be on my mind for someone to be reaching out. I would never know that he's working for my ideal client, but I was showing up, adding value and my network worked for me. And that's one of the beautiful things that people don't realize. The sales will come to you because your network knows you, likes you, trusts you. They want to support you, but they're just not thinking about you. Justin, I think one of the things that's interesting about LinkedIn, and I think it's different. Once again, I'm not an expert on all social uh, channels at all, but there's a lot of lurkers on LinkedIn, more so it feels like in some of the other social media channels where liking isn't necessary, but this is my example. Um, I, I've been doing things and, and I wasn't even aware that people were even watching. And then, and then I'll meet with them and they're like, Carl, what you're doing on, on, on LinkedIn is amazing. You know, I, I just love the content you're doing. And of course I'm like, well, why don't you just yep. like do like once? You know? <laughs> that's, that's my stupid <laughs> yep. statement, right? You know, but, but they're yep. like, no, they like it. Is that what you're observing as well? Is that is that a common theme that that is a little bit different than some like a, something like Instagram or Facebook? Absolutely, and I I don't know um, I don't know Facebook or Instagram as well, so I can't say the comparison uh, definitively. But I will say my experience is the same. Ninety percent of the calls that I have with my network. It, it's not like, Justin, what have you been up to? Like, they know what I'm up to because I talk about it on LinkedIn. And I love that I get to skip over that part of catching up. Like, they already know a lot about me. But like you said, it's I am always surprised by that. It's not like they're engaging with my content. And, and one of our clients said this, you know, he does, he does uh, like 12 different conferences a year. He does a lot of public speaking. And he said, look, I used to have three people coming up to me after the conference. Now it's 150 people and they already know me. They talk about my LinkedIn content. So when it comes to scalably building relationships with your network, this is the most efficient use of your time you could possibly do to really build that network, 
build that relationship and be top of mind. Love it. I love it. Okay. So we can relate. What other things? So what's, what's a common blunder that people do on LinkedIn? There's, there's, there's four that I'll, I'll go through really quickly. One is um, people, CEOs focus on their company page rather than their personal page. And what you need to know is LinkedIn is about human to human connection. People are not going to LinkedIn to interact with faceless organizations. They're going on LinkedIn to connect with other people. And so if you want to build your company's brand, the most efficient way to do that is through your executive brand on LinkedIn. So for example, when we work with companies, we are interviewing their CEO and we're publishing content for their CEO. And that helps build their company's brand and their company's page. So the biggest mistake is they focus on their company page, which is table stakes, rather than their personal page, which is where all the growth is going to happen. The second one we already talked about, which is educate, don't sell. We see far too many uh, executives who post four times a year when their company hits a major milestone and they're inactive apart from that. You've got to move towards educating. A third one we've talked about a little bit, but a lot of um, executives show up on LinkedIn, they repost or they post an article. And as we've already discussed, that's just not going to work. You're just you're not going to see growth by just posting what other people have talked about. And so you really need to focus on original content. But the fourth one is the biggest one, and that is consistency matters. So as I said, most executives, they show up on LinkedIn, they post four times a year. What we have found in our research is the minimum is two to five times per week, which is an insane volume. To be relevant, to cut through the noise, to grow an audience, you need to be publishing original, high-quality content two to five times per week. I obviously focus on this more. I am honestly posting about 12 times a week right now. It's, it is a very high volume, but what you need to realize is most people are not on LinkedIn every single minute of the day. If you post, they may miss it. If, they, if you post, they may be on vacation. And your post basically gets an 18-hour shelf life on LinkedIn, and then it goes away. So don't think of this as spamming your network. Realize that for your network to see one post a month, you probably got to post 20 times a month for them to see it one time. And so realize that the volume is much, much higher than what you perceive it to be. Yeah, and just uh, first of all, I think that was really good insights there. And, and secondly that comment of, of, of just, just reemphasizing what you said is that there are busy biz, business people. It, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, there are, I know there are a handful of people that it's their thing. You know, there's like the Instagram thing and there's the Facebook thing, there's the TikTok thing. And there's some people who have the LinkedIn thing and, and that's their thing. And, but that's, yep. I still not, I don't believe that's the majority of business people. Business people are business busy on their business. Right. And they go yep. to LinkedIn from time to time. And what, like we said there is you are not relevant or not posting as much unless you're doing enough volume. And I, I think it's really interesting. Yes. And what we also described is what you're helping to do with people is like, that's overwhelming to a typical executive. Right. Yeah. 
And, but when you can help put it in a, Hey, we have a feature way of just one hour, a, a, you know, a month. And that, you know, it's interesting, you know, um, that's what we do too. <laughs> I mean, yep. I'm very yep. present on LinkedIn, but I got to serve my clients and 100%. to be active with them. And so I, I do, I spend about an hour on, on our, our, our key posts. I mean, we do some other time and other posts that we do some things with, but, um, and then I have a team of people that put it out there. That's, it's, you know, it's what you do and you have to, but the key, I think was important, Justin, what I loved is just because you have somebody doing it doesn't mean you're doing it the right way. And this is why I think yeah. I'd recommend people to reach out to you, Justin, learn more about what you're doing because um, having a strategy, once again, around the, the amount of content and how you do it and what you're saying and just that 80, 20 rule that yeah. you provided. I think that's really good insights to help once again, make sure you're focusing on what you're trying to do. And, and two things I would offer for someone listening who's not yet ready to work with someone like executive presence or, or not yet at a point to invest in this, first is commenting is seriously underrated. And if you're not ready to start publishing your own content, block off five minutes a day, go through the news feed and add comments. Likes, no one really notices. Comments, people do. So if I were to see that Carl posts, Let's let's especially say that maybe Carl has a similar audience to me. Maybe he is selling to CEOs, which is who I sell to. Well, a good use of my time would be watching his newsfeed when he posts, adding a really high value comment, one to two sentences where I say something insightful. I have literally closed deals because I made a good comment. Someone saw it. They saw what I did and they became a customer. So commenting is very, very effective and it doesn't take nearly as much time. It's also a great way to be top of mind with your with your network. If I comment on someone's post, they haven't talked to me in 20 years, they're going to be remembered that I exist. So commenting is really valuable. The second thing is, you know, if you're doing something like I'm doing right now where you're on a podcast, before I worked with our team, I used to just run this through otter.ai. I'd get a transcript and I would realize like, oh, I, I probably said things in that podcast that are worthwhile. I've got the transcript and that's a starting point for a post. So there's little things like that on sales calls, on team meetings, on podcasts, where you can repurpose what you've said or what you say often into a post. You don't have to invent it from scratch. So Justin, a lot of activity on generative AI right now. Is your yep. team using this? And if so, how and why um, are, are you trying to uh, change that, evolve that for your business? We use it right now in, in three ways. One is to prepare for interviews. So we can go to ChatGPT and load in every article our client has ever written, any podcast they've ever been on and say, okay, based on this content, what questions should we ask this client to get really good content? So it helps us for interview prep. A second way is it helps us repurpose content. So if six months ago we had a post that did really well, we might say, okay, what's a way to create a similar message in a different form? And we can get different versions of what we wrote. Those are, I said three, but those are actually the two primary ways we use it. We don't think it's yet at the point where it would replace what we're doing, especially for the type of leader that we work with, where they want the content to be really authentic and less robotic. Yeah, I think that's the one of the key value sets right now is, is 
we can all tell to some degree, not always, right? Because it's getting better and better and better. But but there's and, and what yeah. we also are learning is that digital can tell, right? Whether it's it's yeah. copied or not. And so <laughs> so we have yeah. to be thoughtful yeah. around that. So at its core, how are you measuring success in your business? I would say there's the the business front and then there's kind of the organizational front. So as a business, I think monthly recurring revenue is our North Star. Uh, we, we have recurring revenue and we want to grow that number. And that is, you know, taking into account both retention and sales. And so I think that MRR for us is the North Star. I think that for each department, we have different things. And so for our client success department, we're always looking at our um, how well we do with client voice. So we periodically uh, poll our clients and just say, hey, how accurately are we representing your voice on a scale of zero to 10? And that's one of the primary metrics that we know we're doing well. Retention is obviously one that goes in there. On the sales front, we looked at the sales cycle, our close rate, and other factors like that. But at the end of the day, it's MRR. Organizationally, one of the big drivers of what we do is charitable donations as well as employee satisfaction. So 1.5% of our revenue, we donate monthly to causes we believe in. That's a big driver for our team to know that as we do better and better work, we're going to help out more and more people. And the second part is for me as a business owner, success for me is making me feel like I'm having a positive impact on the world. I do that through having employees that are really fulfilled in their work, that feel like they're mentored and trained, that feel like they're viewed as a human being who has a family, who has a life outside of work, and it's not just about work. And so we do a lot of things there with salary transparency, with generous vacation and things like that. But ultimately, employee satisfaction is one of the most meaningful metrics I have. I'm a big believer of the phrase, happy cows produce good milk. I want my employees to be very, very happy because I know they're going to do their best work when they are in a great state. So that's a long answer, but we do look at the numbers quite a bit, but those are the big ones that matter to me. Love it. Great answer. I, I love the whole, I love it how you're giving back. Um, I love it how you care about your employees and of course the top line, right? You know, you, you are driving, trying to continue to drive your subscription revenue, if you may, you know, higher, which is, which is fantastic. All right. So we just have a few minutes here. Uh, you, you know, you, you came from, once again, I'm aware of you know, it, the Naval Academy doesn't take, um, slackers right into the academy and and to get through is is um also an extraordinary achievement and on top of that you were a and the sub which is um people may not know this but it's actually one of the most difficult areas to get in is, is in, in a submarine so i'm curious based on all of that what type of habits are you doing today to consistently mm. maintain high performance I'll say I'll credit my wife for a lot of this. I think that the the shift that has happened for me is I have two kids under the age of five. And so any parent will know how little time I have and business owners have a little, no, not much time either. And between those two, it's very, very time scarce. And I'm someone who, you know, I've run ultra marathons and I've done lots of big things to stay in physical shape. But now I'm having to shift my mindset to how can I take 10 minutes a day 
to move my body to be healthy? How can I use healthy eating to stay active? How can I, instead of going on a week-long silent meditation retreat, how can I treat doing the dishes as a mindfulness activity? And so I feel like the biggest shift in habits has been going from running for an hour a day, which is just not feasible in my life, to just tiny things that add up. But the great thing is, I feel like that's a much healthier approach rather than all or nothing, finding little tiny things to do to keep me active. So like one example, I've got a group of friends, we're in a challenge where we do 100 pushups a day. It takes literally, uh, you know, a minute and a half to do 100 pushups broken up. And so we just text each other every day, either we held that commitment or we broke. And that's enough of a nudge for me to, to just do something to stay active. I've got this aura ring, which was, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Every morning I check it and see, how did I sleep? This morning it told me I didn't sleep well, so I need to take it easy. So I want to listen to my body on that. Little things like that. But it has been a very difficult transition from moving from like massive action to just little tiny things to help me be in the best headspace possible. Yeah, well, welcome to fatherhood. Um, and yeah. uh, it's, you know, I, my, my yeah. four kids are near the, near, near the end. We've got one left in, in high school right now, uh, senior year. But, you know, the, that period we, we had four at one point, sorry, three under five. And um, yeah, it's it's it is challenging to, you can't be all things, um, uh, but you have to focus on what's most important and, and do that well. And, um, and, and balance is a silly word. Um, what's, what's more important is focus on the most important things and to get the most greatest value yeah. on that. And just like we said, Hey, uh, I can't be an ultra marathoner right now. Right. You know, but I can do a hundred pushups in, in, in two minutes. Yeah. Uh, I loved yeah. it how you threw in doing the dishes because um, good for you. I mean, I mean that in a good way. I mean, it sincerely, yeah. uh, we're, we're not, uh, forgive me. I know there are men and women that listen to this, but sometimes us men are fo focused on task. If we're, if we're, if we are the primary, I'm saying if these are things I don't know, cause we haven't had more discussion about it, but um, yeah. to, to give back and help out uh, more. So good for you on, on doing more. Cause that, that sometimes yeah. um, creates more happiness and joy at home uh, than, than a lot of other things <laughs> we think we could be doing. So, yeah. so good for you. Yeah. Um, so then let's go to that, that then how are you measuring success in your personal life now? Mm. This one, I'll also credit my wife with, um, we, we are big advocates of mindfulness and oftentimes you'll hear them talk about the middle path, you know, the path between two extremes. And what my wife was saying to me recently was, you know, she said, you know, in my life, I'm, I'm really trying to get away from just seeking these highs of just like, you know, we go out and we have a blowout night and it's just like, yes. And then you have the next day where you're having a really low moment and you kind of, you know, thrill seeking of travel or adventure or things like that. And she said, you know, I'm less interested in the high highs and I'm less interested in the low lows. I'm trying to live my life in a way where I'm just kind of even keel all the time. Or one teacher I had called it second gear living. You're not in fifth gear going 60 miles an hour. You're in second gear consistently going at 25 miles an hour. But that, you know, when I live my life, when I'm going from 100 miles, 10 miles an hour, kind of is very disruptive and not my best. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to measure my personal success at a day-to-day -day basis is, am I just 
doing, you know, operating in second gear and just living content and just doing my best and not chasing those highs and not fighting those lows, but just kind of even keel. And again, you know, as someone who's been a thrill seeker, it's a big change for me. Rather than, you know, seeking a $100 million exit, I'm seeking of raising my MRR a little bit today. And rather than like feeling like I'm 10xing my leadership, can I have an interaction with one of my team members where I'm more present? And so that's kind of success for me. Like, I'm not going to necessarily take my son out to the zoo for four hours. Can I have 15 minutes with him where we're really engaged together? So it's bite-sized, it's even keel, but ultimately I end up feeling happier when it's going away from that thrill-seeking and the high highs of business and personal life. Great answer, Justin. And I love it how you and your wife, right, have really spent a lot of time um, and you've, you've contributed to her. Thank you, her, right? It's, a, it's always good to have a great partner who can uh, give you some wisdom and insights and some um, help help us to change our habits, right? Which, which it comes down to, to help create that joy and finding that joy, right? Because it is different as your circumstances change, um, you know, throughout the process. So uh, what is a book that you recommend for our audience? I'll, I'll recommend um, one that I'm in, I was embarrassed to read it, but I posted on it about LinkedIn recently. Uh, it's called You Are a Badass Moneymaker, and it's by a lady, Jen Sincero. And it's probably things that you've heard a million times before, but I think she just communicates it in a way that just really caused it to stick for me. But I'll say that I read this book months before I started Executive Presence. And in reading the book, I realized there was a lot of mindset things holding me back, uh, a lack of belief in myself, despite a lot that I had accomplished, an aversion to making more money. I realized I judged people who made a lot of money, and I thought, well, they must be awful people. They must be corrupt. They must not be good family people if they've reached these you know, financial heights. And what she points out in the book is like, if you're judging people who have a lot of money, you're going to never want to make a lot of money because you don't want to be someone that you judge. And so I just found it insanely helpful. I read it twice. I even recorded myself reading the sections I underlined and I listened to like my highlights from the books. Um, and it really brought about a change that I think led to my company being a success after more or less 10 years of entrepreneurial failure. And so I would I would really recommend you are a badass moneymaker. It sounds silly. It sounds like mindset stuff. But I've become a big advocate that entrepreneurship is 90% mindset and 10% skill set. And I'm trying to focus on that mindset as much as possible. It is a great book. And it is really interesting how our self-limiting beliefs are the reason why we don't grow. And I think you hit on something really well there. Um, I, I read a different book that changed my mindset about 10 years ago. It is a mindset thing. And it is fascinating when we have this belief of we, we, first of all, may not like people of a certain way because of what they've earned or haven't earned. But in most cases, they actually have earned it. You know, there's very few people yep. who are, who are um, silver spoon, so to speak, you know, and and then, yep. so yeah, I, I love it. I love it how you get, I love it how you change the mindset and love it how you really went double down and how it helped change. So I think that's fantastic. Justin, how can people connect and learn more about you? Uh, two ways. Email is really easy. It's just justin at executivepresence.io. 
The second one is on LinkedIn, uh, Justin Nasiri, a pretty unique name. And so easy to find me or look up executive presence and fill out a uh, demo request form. All three of those will get to me. Perfect, Justin. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Measure Test podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And to everyone else who's listening, I encourage you to go to Justin. He, I, I talk with a lot of people who know about social media. Justin is clearly one of the top experts I've talked with personally, and he really does it. He does the right thing. He has a growing, successful business, and he really has great insights to do this the right way rather than, well, wasting time. And so I encourage you to uh, go out, reach out to him. And as we always like to say, wishing you the best, very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.